Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. Good news from this past weekend. First off, State of the Nova Nation. First time ever. Number one on Podomatic. Let's get it. We've been top 10 for a while. We've been top 5. We've been highly ranked on iTunes. Take that Big Ten podcast. But we have never reached the number one mark. So we're going to take a hot second to celebrate it. Almost forgot about the rankings. Almost forgot about those stats. I felt like once we were just kind of like a fixture in the top 10, we we're like, okay, okay, you know, we don't need to hype it up every episode anymore. We don't need to celebrate every time. But gladly, I got an alert and I decided to check it for the first time in eons. And I was happy to see that number one ranking last Friday morning when I turned on my computer, checked my email, and got and checked that notification. Thank you to everyone who's been supporting this pod. It's been a nice move to VU Hoops. We've been glad to make this our new home here. It's been a lot of fun to put these podcasts together. And hopefully you guys have been enjoying it just as much as we have been loving just putting them together and getting these out to you guys every Tuesday and Thursday. Yes, huge shout out to everyone who's ever listened to this podcast. Thank you so much. And Eugene, yeah, I completely forgot about the rankings myself. I think it was like right around Christmas or just even before that. Like I was just, I just completely forgot about them. But for some reason... This past Friday, I was like, you know what, let me check the rankings. And I think I actually alerted you. You usually send me the text because you get the alerts. But I was I was just like, oh, let me check. And when we were there, number one, I was like, oh, wow. That was a, that was a nice little surprise to my Friday morning. Shout out to everyone who's ever listened, followed, subscribed to the pod. It's been a good time. Once we started making these high rates, we celebrate like every top 100, every top 50. But then once we started just cracking top 10 on Podomatic Sports a lot, and then just breaking iTunes top 75, top 60. It was just like, okay, okay, we don't need to dance anymore. We, we have to act like we've been here before. To see that we hit the number one college and high school sports podcast on Podomatic, and that we were highly ranked overall out of all the shows on Podomatic, as well as getting on iTunes, beating the Big Ten podcast. It's been big. It's been a big time for State of Nova Nation. And to see that we've recently been added to Google Play so that Android users can access our pod. It's been a hype time. Even though we stopped celebrating the rankings, we did get up for this number one ranking. But you know what we always do now? Every Monday, it just seems like it. Yesterday, the AP polls were out. And of course, there were all these questions like, oh, Virginia's going to jump Nova. Virginia's going to overtake it because they took down Duke. No, no, no. That didn't happen. That did not happen. Wasn't even close. Villanova nabbing almost 50 first place votes coming in once again at number one, standing atop the AP and coaches polls. No questions asked. It's a good time to be alive. It's a good time to be a Wildcat. Surely is. I got to say, though, I, I was pretty concerned that Virginia would jump Nova. And I, I think it, it there were some good reasons to assume that. Virginia went into Duke and beat them pretty thoroughly. I thought they played a great, great methodical Virginia-esque game against them. Plus, you had Phil Boots' injury for Nova and a close game against Marquette, so which we will talk about in a couple minutes. So I was like, oh, maybe some of the pollsters will, will drop us, which some of them did. Virginia did reclaim some first-place votes. They got 17, Villanova got 47, Purdue got one. I thought it would be a closer gap, to be honest. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy we stayed at one for at least another week. I'm usually sort of skeptical, but for some reason, after that Marquette victory... And even though Virginia won, you know, I thought I thought all those talks, all those conversations about Virginia jumping Nova was it was it was part of that ESPN hype machine. I just didn't really see it. I had full faith that we were gonna still be number one. And surely enough, we're still there, fourth week in a row, and our seventh this season. 
it's a good time to be a Villanova Wildcat. And we are just one week short of tying the school record for consecutive weeks at number one. The record is five weeks in a row. And then total weeks at number one in the season, which was eight. And both both of these marks were set last season. It's going to start to get really tough, especially after this week. But we're going to talk about these games coming this week next episode. We have Crane on Thursday night and then Seton Hall on Super Bowl Sunday. So we're not going to talk about any of those games just yet. But I have a feeling that Nova's going to at least tie the mark. The schedule's going to get a lot tougher this month. But I think they, they will at least tie it. And we'll see if they break it. But I have a, fe- I have a great feeling that they're going to at least match that mark. Yeah, I think they should get through this week unscathed. Obviously, we'll, like you said, we'll preview those games next episode. But yeah, hopefully they get through this week, tie the record. And then, yeah, it just becomes a living nightmare after this week. I feel like there's a stretch where there's five games where four of them on the road. And I think their only reprieve is at home against the ball. So like, that's a brutal, brutal stretch. You get the one break against the ball and then good luck against, I think they're at Creighton, at Xavier, at Seton Hall to like wrap up the season. So that, that'll be a real tough stretch, especially without Bill Booth. Newsflash, for those of you who do not know, DePaul is not a threat. DePaul is not a threat. That would be the one That would be the one good thing at the end of February. Just looking at these AP polls, once again, Villanova and Xavier are the only ones in the top 25. Xavier moved up to number six. I would have liked to see them hit number five at least. I don't know. I've always felt like they've been a little underestimated. But when you're top 10, does it really matter at that point? I take that back. I'm sure they care. I'm sure they care a little bit. Uh, Ryan Bowman in the Vubes Slack chat actually mentioned this, that Duke stayed at four. I was like, of course. Like, of course they did. Like, they're getting the Kansas treatment that from like a couple of years ago where they would lose like five games in the Big Ten and they would remain at two. To be fair, though, you put Michigan State over Duke right now, eh, Xavier, eh, I, I don't know. Like, it, that's a tough call. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. I feel like if it were any other team not named Duke, they would have they would have taken a slight hit. Yeah, no, that's fair point. <laughs> Just like I think it was a couple seasons ago when there was that really hype. No, it was a couple seasons ago, the 2015-16 season, where there was that really hype Kansas-Oklahoma game that went into like double overtime, battle between one and two. Oklahoma ended up losing by like one basket. But even after that, they got dropped a little bit. Even though I would have, I would have been all for keeping them at one and two. So if Duke were in that position, they would have probably stayed. Yeah. But because it wasn't Duke, Oklahoma took a little hit. Or maybe that's just the anti-Duke narrative that's just flaring up within me. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I do remember that game. I think it actually went three overtimes. Actually, it's all messed up. But whatever. It, we're at one. It's fine. On to the next week. And while no other Big East teams were ranked besides Nova and Xavier. Just looking at the receiving vote section, Creighton and Seton Hall coming at the unofficial number 30 and 31, with Creighton receiving 33 points and Seton Hall with 16. Two opponents that we'll get to see this week will be very interesting. I'm sure if either one of them upset Nova, they'll be definitely back in the polls. But as we'll talk about on Thursday, unless if my mind changes until then, I don't think that's going to happen. But before we go there, let's backtrack. Let's look at this weekend. The Wildcats headed over to Milwaukee. We talked about last time how when you think of great home court advantages, Nova comes to mind, Xavier comes to mind, Butler, Hinkle Magic comes to mind, the dunk with Providence, not an easy place to play in, Century Link Center in Omaha gets rowdy, gets rocking, gets loud. The five that you immediately think of off the top of your head. And somewhere, kind of in the shadows, kind of in the background, gets a little overlooked, is Marquette when they play at the BMO Bradley Harris Center. They've been fantastic at home all season. So far, their only notable losses were to Xavier by four 
And now after this weekend, to Nova by three, as the Wildcats won 85-82. to 82. Marquette fought the whole way, did not make it easy. Chris, what was your impression of this game? How do you think it went? Was this pretty much kind of what we expected? A shootout that was going to be tough, but Nova coming out on top? Or was this a little closer than you would have liked? To be honest with you, this is exactly what I expected. I expected Marquette to be in this game from the get-go. I debated with myself on the show last week. Marquette would win, Villanova would win. I kept going back and forth, back and forth. And then I think Sunday morning I texted you. I'm like, yeah, I, I think Marquette's going to win this. Their home court advantage is just so vastly underrated. It's ridiculous. That That is a great crowd they have over there in Milwaukee. They just play so well at home, and it, it, it feeds. And with an offensive-minded team like that, I think it, it helps. You know, it gets the momentum going. Like, if they hit a three, then they're more inclined to take another three. Like, they had a couple of runs there where they had a guy in the corner. where they, I think believe it was Kane they had in the corner. And he hit like two threes in a row to give them a lead back. It was just those type of runs back and forth, back and forth. But talking about this game, though, it all starts and it all ends with Jalen Brunson. What an absolute phenomenal performance by Jalen. 10 of 21 from the field, 10 of 11 from the line, which was absolutely clutch. Not as great from deep. He was only one for four, but he didn't need that. Only had one assist, which we'll get into a little bit later how the team was more focused on iso ball this past weekend but he had five boards and good for 31 points absolute phenomenal performance and i we were going back and forth during the game i think what stood out to me this game most was that he seemed like a man possessed and like really really determined he wanted the ball yeah you know he wants the ball he's the point guard he wants the ball every every game but for some reason this game it seemed like he wanted it more and he seemed like he was calling off teammates for the ball and he seemed like he was demanding his teammates to pass him the ball because he knew he was cooking and he knew he this was his game to take over and it got a little scary when he had that knee injury well he had two injuries actually he had the ankle because john stuck out his leg zaza patrulia style and then he landed awkwardly on his knee late in the second half and i was just like oh come on like can, can we just get through one game without someone getting hurt but man that was an absolute phenomenal performance absolutely dis- blowing by guys on the on the mismatches Backing down defenders, doing his classic post-up moves, absolutely phenomenal. I, I I can't I can't speak enough about it. It was just amazing to watch, and it was good that this game was on Fox, Fox Five, because I hope some usual non-watchers were watching this game and saw this kid play. If he's not in the forefront of the Wooden Award discussion, this game definitely put him there. Yeah, twenty-one shot takes. Over a third of the team's shots came from number one, numero uno, Jalen Brunson, and I had no problem with that. And it seemed like his teammates didn't have a problem with that either. 31 points, 5 rebounds, 1 assist, drove to the basket. How many highlight plays did he have? So many nice, smooth moves. Shook a few Marquette defenders off. Looked real good. Got 31 points. Very, very key game for him. But even though you said it starts and ends with Jalen, I think it actually ended with Mikhail Bridges and the way that he played in that final minute and a half. Had 16 points, that rebound at the end. And then the steal that he got that helped put the game away. And then, of course, he had that dime to Dante to make it a five-point game at the end, make it 85, and really put the game out of reach for Marquette in those closing seconds. Absolutely fantastic. Marquette haters wanted to see an over-the-back foul. No, you just got introduced to Mikhail Bridges and those go-go gadget arms. He beat his man to the spot, got the ball. I think any discussion of that were, was totally cleared when they switched to the overhead angle shot. And you saw that Mikhail reached over, just got to the spot first, got to the ball first, won that loose ball, and then later 
got that big strip, found its way into Colin Gillespie's hands. And then from there, it was just play ball. Villanova came out on top. Loved Mikhail Bridges at that end. Really did his job defensively in those closing minutes. Came up big. But aside from that, also loved Dante DiVincenzo. 23 points, 9 of 16 on the floor. Missed a whole lot of threes, but honestly, the way he was playing, I thought he was great. In his first official start in place of Phil Booth, I thought he played tremendously. 23 points, good job from good old DD. Yeah, first, I'd just like to talk about Bridges. Yeah, you're right. Marquette Twitter was absolutely brutal after the game. Going frame by frame to try and prove that the ball, that Bridges didn't get the ball, that he was he was actually hacking at the arm. You actually sent that tweet to me of the, the fan going frame by frame with it, but you actually pointed out that the overhead angle actually shows him coming down on the ball. It's not hitting his arm. It just looks like it because that's the angle. People just didn't grasp that. And then the there was another one where he was trying to reach from the ball on the side view, and he was actually had his hand on the ball, and they claimed that he hit his wrist, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, Bridges, you can see he's clearly hobbled. with the. I guess it's an ankle injury, which kind of sucks. You can tell it's really holding him back a little bit. But he did have that one nice play where he, towards the end of the first half where he had yeah, pretty much driving through like three defenders. That was pretty crazy. That was a real nice play by him. But yeah, at the end, absolutely clutch play. Grab the re- rebound slash steal and then dish to the Dante, make, make it a five-point game. I thought Dante played pretty well. His free throw shooting aggravated me at the end, not making those three throws. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, the game was pretty much locked up, but I, I just got really aggravated by that. I feel that it looked like he had the yips for a moment there taking those free throws, but I thought he was cooking at least early on. He got the team rolling. He made those first two threes and I thought that was fine. Gave him a little more free reign that I would have liked, but hey, 9-16 for 23. I'll take it. That was a great performance by him. And he's been, he had another underrated game. He had nine boards, 10 points. He was making his shots. He made both threes again. So that's obviously cooking for him now. Individually, they were playing great. Just would have liked to have seen more ball movement. Only eight assists on 29 baskets. I think a lot had to do with Jalen just commanding the game. And, you know, I'm fine with that. You want to have, a, if there was a game where you just have one player take over and just give him the ball, let him cook, it was this one. I was fine with that. If you want to stray away from the team ball, I thought that this was the game to do it. I thought it would be okay. But hopefully that's, this isn't an indication with Booth out that, you know, it's just kind of just iso ball and whatever. I, I want to just see the team ball keep going and going and going. Yeah, whatever Jalen Brunson wants. If he wants to call the plays, he wants to draw up something, give him the board, give him the whistle, give him the ball. But he was just cooking. He had so many highlight plays. I loved his game. Only had one assist, but honestly, yeah. Even with a shortage of assists, Eight on 29 made baskets. It wasn't that bad. I think just the style of the game kind of made it happen to be this way. And to see Jalen Brunson just call for the ball, direct the team like a maestro operating an orchestra, it was just fine, fine, fine basketball from him. Real close game. Never really felt like we could breathe easy. Well, there was a moment in the first half where it looked like Villanova was going to run away with it, but then Marquette came storming back. We did not see Marcus Howard Cook Villanova this time. He had 37 in the meeting at the Wells Fargo Center. But we did see Andrew Rousey go off for 29. He was a no-show in Philly, bounced back. But I think the nice key here was, you know, as great of scores Andrew Rousey and Marcus Howard are, if you can take away one of them or quiet one of them down, just as long as they both aren't cooking, you're going to win that game. And to hold Marcus Howard, even though there wasn't a lot of great defense in the game, especially in the first half, and especially just letting Marquette shoot over 50% as a team. Marcus Howard, to shooting just 5 of 18 on the floor, never really was able to get into a rhythm. Yeah, he had a couple late threes there, but it just 
all game long. He just never really seemed like himself. Getting into foul trouble, I thought that was big. Only had 13 points, 5 of 18 on the floor. Whether it was just him not hitting it or just doing just enough to keep to get him disrupted, I thought that was big on Nova's part. Yeah, Rousey got his, but to just not let both of them destroy you was nice to see. Yeah, I completely agree with you. We were just talking off air about how you know the defensive performance wasn't good, but it wasn't terrible either. And I think the reason why it wasn't terrible was because they were able to lock down Marcus Howard. I thought Mikael Bridges did a great job on him on the times that he was on him. They, they were just able to lock him down. I think foul trouble had a lot to do with Howard not being able to get in a rhythm. And I think on the broadcast, they had actually mentioned, I don't know if it was, I think it was right before the game that Marquette always has one of them going, Rousey or Howard, and not the other. I think that's just their MO. I don't know what it is. That's just how they operate because one's getting the shots, one isn't. I, I really don't know how that's possible. But that this team could be very, very, very dangerous if both are going. But it, And Marcus Howard was so off his game, he actually missed the free throw, which he didn't miss until last week. He was like on a, an insane streak. I don't remember the exact number. You had actually pointed it out, and then you jinxed him a little bit. But then he missed that one free throw, which was actually pretty big in the grand scheme of things. I think that was to get Marquette back to within one possession, and he ended up missing the front end of a one-on-one. So, yeah, that, that was that was pretty big, and they got him off rhythm, and that's exactly what you need in this type of game. Because if Howard was had anything going, I, I think probably lose. <laughs> just from a number standpoint, he missed 13 times. It doesn't do that very often. If he just made a couple baskets, it's a different outcome. I was very impressed with their ball movement. Very good job. Gave Villanova a tough time. First game without Phil Booth. We know that Phil Booth is a great defender. Limited depth, or uh, that's the hot topic nowadays. Depth, Villanova running seven deep. Two freshmen coming off the bench, and that's pretty much it. How did you feel about Villanova getting 82 of 85 points from the starting five and for the two freshmen to total for one of five shooting and three points that came from Mr. CG, Colin Gillespie? All right, before getting into the negatives of how the freshmen played over the weekend, I do want to preface with this. Colin Gillespie did have one of the bigger shots of the game. He hit that three on an and one towards the end of the first half to break up Marquette's huge run, and it actually got Nova on a little mini run right before the half. And I think if Villanova's going into the down at half, it's probably a different game. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Mar- I, I think Marquette would have had more momentum going into the second half and probably would have felt really good about themselves. And also he had a nice dish to Mikhail Bridges on the wing who was able to hit a three, his only three of the game. And I believe that broke up the Marquette run and started a Villanova run of their own as well. So I will say that he did have two very important plays. However, the rest of the freshmen, including Gillespie, they just they did not have a good game. DCR probably his worst game in a while. He looked completely lost out there. Some bad fouls. He got, I mean, pretty much everyone got pumped baked on the on the Rousey thing. But Cosby Roundtree was like probably the most egregious one. I didn't I didn't really like how he played. Spellman looked bad. He had a lot of contested shots, a lot of shots that he probably should have just was better off just kicking out to the point. He did hit one, which was contested, and I feel like he kind of was like, oh, I could probably do that again, and was and as a result took more shots like that, and it just wasn't working. And then Gillespie looked, looked lost. I, I'm sorry. He, he, he didn't play the best. He's had some good games. He just didn't look right out there. I was fine with like the shot, his shot attempts, but defensively, he's just, I don't know. It, it looked like there was a lot of missed assignments. I couldn't tell if it was him or DCR when they were out there together. I, I, don't, I don't really... It just didn't look right <laughs> in this team. Obviously, this is Phil Booth. There were a couple times he got burned by Rousey. Overall, while I thought he just looked lost on switches, 
yes, Villanova did not play that well defensively. This was not one for the they play good defense argument. And yes, Phil Booth might have been better equipped, but the reality of the situation is he wasn't there. He wasn't available. So we have Gillespie he gets thrown into the fire, playing against a highly offensive team, shoot off dribble, the catch and shoot, whatever it may be, they'll they'll shoot all day. I thought there was one stretch that was pretty crucial, especially when it came to Marquette coming back, and it was late in the second half. He throws up. I don't even know what what I don't even know what that was for. Uh, clearly, it was for Dante DiVincenzo, but he was just covered. It allowed for an easy Marquette steal, and then on the other end, he fouled the guy and gives him an and one, and that was to cut mm-hmm. into Villanova's lead. It made the game real close, real tight. Freshman mistakes, yes, they happen. I thought that stretch, that series right then, pretty much had his game and just covered his game in a nutshell. Yes, he had that big three, broke up the Marquette run, and then he had that nice pass to Bridges. Loved it. But that right there, I was just staring at my screen in shock. I did not know what that pass was for. Clearly, Dante DiVincenzo was not open. I don't know if it was supposed to be an alley-oop. I don't know (laughs) because it was a lot. I don't know what that was. Yeah. But that was definitely one where, when it comes to film session, he's going to be sinking in this chair a little bit. You're, you're exactly right. That was the sequence I was trying to think of. I couldn't think of it. And I, thank you for, for mentioning that. Not exactly the best game from him. And yes, he's getting thrown into the fire. But, you know, you still like a little bit of a better performance. We're not saying he's had a bad year. We're just saying for this game specifically, he didn't play the best. But even without him playing the best, and the rest of the freshmen playing their best, they still won. However... 82 of 85 from the starters. That is not a recipe for success either. You're going to need scoring elsewhere, and it's, that's not a type of sustainable type of play. Yeah, like we've definitely seen Gillespie do much better. We've seen him play a lot better. Same goes with DCR. I've loved DCR. I think, uh, personally for me, I think he's been my favorite freshman. Not counting Spellman, but I mean like true freshman. I think he's been my yeah. favorite. I guess just seeing them both hit a giant roadblock at the same time in a game that was tight was a little frustrating. To see them go 34 minutes and just combine for three points was not that great. It'll be interesting to see how they do on Thursday night because Creighton is a another very good offensive team, but they play a lot better defensively. These guys are going to get a lot of burn, a lot of minutes. I'm not too concerned about Villanova's depth just yet. I mean, I'm just going to chalk it up to like a bad performance. But this will be another test for them because, you know, as talented and running gun Marquette is, Creighton is also another very high-powered offense in the Big East. And they are just just as up-tempo as Marquette, if not faster. They blaze the court between Marcus Foster, a dynamic scorer like him, and Kyrie Thomas, who's taken a Mikhail Bridges elite. And not being just a defensive specialist anymore, he's now a guy that can hurt you on the scoreboard. It'll be interesting to watch because they are gonna they're, they might have to take on these guys. Not so much Cosby Rountree, but Gillespie will, might have to cover one of them. Seven-man rotation was not a good first impression. Not going to panic just yet. I know some people are panicking about depth. Obviously, it sucks that Phil Booth is down. It's not good. Especially, we've been very thin on injuries. Haven't caught a break, literally and figuratively. It wasn't great, but it was good to see Villanova come out with that road win. Just get out of Milwaukee. Come back alive. You're coming back home where you don't lose all too often. Two big opponents towards the end of this week. We'll keep an eye out for that. But we're going to discuss those games next time. But now I want to look at the women's basketball side. Big blowout win against Xavier, lighting them up in Cincinnati, 89-50. to And then before coming home this past Sunday, playing against the Butler Bulldogs, who ran you off your court at Jake Nevin Fieldhouse. And the Wildcats were able to squeeze out another tough win. 
winning 69 to 67. Back to back wins after losing to Marquette. Got a nice little break from that horrendous 11 day stretch with like six games packed in there. What did you take away from this weekend? What stood out to you? I guess first let's talk about the Xavier game and then we'll top it off with uh, Butler. Xavier game, it was an absolutely offensive show. Just under 62% from the field, 37 to 60. And from three, they hit nearly half of their threes, 14 of 30. Alex Lewin contributed 24. Janet Tucker scored 12. Adriana Hahn added 10. So you had three players in double digits, and you had scoring across the board. Megan Quinn with eight. Kelly Jaycott with nine. Gadeka with seven. It was just scoring across the board. Absolutely phenomenal game on the offensive end. And then defensively, they played <laughs> just as good, if not better. They only allowed Xavier 19 to 62 from the field, good for 30%. And from deep, Xavier only shot five and 26. So they weren't making their threes either. This was a uh, blowout of epic proportions, especially on the road. They only allowed 16 first half points. That's crazy to think about. Xavier kind of climbed back a little bit. They were actually scoring in the third and fourth quarter, but Nova won every quarter. They dropped 52 points in the first half. So an absolutely phenomenal performance. You can't, you cannot, I don't, I really don't have any negatives to take away from this at all. It was a great all around game. Yeah, this game was pretty much decided at halftime. There's really nothing bad you can say about this. At one point, Villanova's up by 40. Like, it was just an absolute thrashing by the Wildcats. Alex mm-hmm. Lewin scored almost a point for every minute she played. Logged 26 minutes, had 24 points. She was locked in, had five threes. Everyone got some action. Everyone got some burn. Every single Wildcat except for one was able to log a basket, log some points. Hopefully, at some point, we get a game where everyone gets to have a, a bucket. Just absolute thrashing of Xavier. We've talked about how Xavier isn't exactly that good. I guess kind of a warm-up game or like an appetizer before you go into Hinkle Fieldhouse. Going for that revenge win, this was nice to see the basket shot. Great confidence builder. You really can't hate on anything. They made 10 of their 17 threes in the first half. Villanova was not missing. They shot about 65%. On the floor in the first half, this game was pretty virtually decided by then. The Wildcats shut down some of their more prominent players, like Jada Bird. She didn't even have a single basket, was 0 for 9. Monty Partlow only had two points. Anina Ayanin only had three. It was just such a dominating display from start to finish. This was just one where it was, all right, well, on to the next one. Let's try to do this again at Butler. Wasn't an offensive thrashing, but to win 69-67, to 67, get that revenge win against a team that blew you out, knocked you out of the polls. That was just as nice. And it shows when they get some rest, good things happen. Good things happen. Yeah, and you can even consider extended rest with the way they played against Xavier with that game basically being decided in the first half. But, yeah, this game, we've been saying it all year. Make your free throws at the end. Make your free throws at the end, and this team should be okay. And that's exactly what they did. Going 5-6 of from the line at the end of the fourth quarter to seal the game away. Absolutely clutch performances. By the team there from the free throw line because if they were missing any. I'm pretty sure Butler would have came back and won this game with a little hinkle magic on the women's end. So Adriana Hahn, 14 points. Kelly Jacob, 14. Mary Gadeka, 10. Jana Tucker, 11. Again, a great, uh, lots of scoring across the board. Alex Lewin, 8. Wasn't exactly able to build up performance against Xavier, but still a good enough game to contribute for the victory. And the fact that they did this on the road is even more impressive. We were saying free throw struggles and the free throw were all at home. That if you know if they're not going to be able to do it at home, they won't be able to do it on the road. But the fact they were able to do it on the road here was is pretty impressive. And especially against a team that you really probably had this game circled after losing to them at home in a game you really, really should have won. 
this is great to see. Back-to-back -back wins, getting a little bit of a streak going here. After beating the Paul last weekend, yeah, you had the loss to Marquette, but whatever. This is just great to see that now that they're actually rested and can actually have a chance to breathe, they're, they're able to win some games. There were two things that we've talked about. It was one, make your free throws, close out games. If you look at their second-half numbers, it was a lot like how Villanova was the last time they played Butler. They shot the lights out to start. They raced out to a nice lead, but then Villanova absolutely disappeared to close out the game. Over the final 20 minutes, they shot just 28% on the floor, an ugly 3 of 15 from deep. But they got to the line 14 times, making 11 points. We haven't seen Villanova be that aggressive or try to get inside, and it came at a clutch time because they were just not able to get anything to drop in that second half. It was a rough go for them. Meanwhile, Butler was just dominating. Whitney Jennings hit seven of nine three-pointers for a game-high 29. But Villanova did a good job on everyone else. We saw Schickel, Jennings, and two other players just go off for big high-scoring games, good scoring efforts. This time around, it was them two, and no one else was able to hit double digits. And I thought that was very key on them and the balanced effort was nice too two big road wins even up those series sweep the musketeers get back against butler i think villanova is in a good position they're in good shape they're currently 17 and 5 7 and 4 in biggies i i feel like the, when you hit 20 that's that's a nice number to be at especially when we go to tournament discussions which is definitely the goal here yes and just like you mentioned they do have three games at home upcoming all very winnable home against georgetown home against st john's and home against seat hall should probably win two of those. Maybe struggle a little bit against St. John's since you lost to them at St. John's. But in theory, they should win all three of those. So you could probably hit the 20 win mark by the end of next week, which would be pretty, pretty impressive. And they're right in the thick of NCAA tournament discussion if that happens. Yep, and we'll be certainly keeping an eye out for that. Very winnable games coming up. They don't resume action until this Saturday. So we're going to hold off and discuss in the Georgetown game until Thursday. But for now, you know, just two big wins for the Cats get back on track after losing to Marquette. Really starting to right the ship. I guess, you know, having that break in between was really nice. Didn't have to run around, especially before going on the road, but big blowout at Xavier. Big revenge win at Butler. Good overall weekend for Villanova basketball, if I must say. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Now it's that time of day where we dive into the mailbag, answer your questions, discuss anything that you want us to talk about. We have a couple questions here. Really don't have much to do Villanova, interestingly enough. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod with your questions or leave something in the comments section of a podcast thread and it'll find its way to us and we'll discuss them from Peter Chi or Kai if we're talking Greek. Mark Titus from The Ringer and the host of the One Shining Pod speculates that UConn will fire Kevin Ollie in wake of NCAA investigation and hire Tom Crean. He's been saying this even prior to Scandal. Scandal just maybe allows UConn to avoid massive buyouts. The question here, Tom Crean, at UConn, be good for Nova. I'll be honest, I don't really think this impacts us this much or too much. I mean, I guess maybe for the three-year series that we're currently in. But even then, to put in, to bring in a new head coach and make that three-year series be very competitive, seeing how Villanova just absolutely shot the lights out and they were just complete, they completely outclassed the Huskies. Even when you bring in a new coach, it's not going to be magic right away. It's going to take at least another year. And maybe by the time this would even all happen, it would just be too late. Or it wouldn't, there wouldn't be enough time for Creed to work some magic to make UConn good again. I guess from the Villanova standpoint, the, the, the only way would be yeah, if UConn gets good, then it improves our schedule. I mean, I, I guess that's a good thing. But Green would be nice. 
for UConn. I think I, I really don't mind him as a coach. I thought he did wear out his welcome at Indiana, um, but I did think he was pretty good with them before it, things started to go sour there. And at Marquette, I thought he was a phenomenal coach and helped Marquette get to a Final Four with Wade. And I thought he had some strong teams in the mid two thousands. But yeah, I I don't know. I I, I kind of agree with you on that. It would just be too late by that point. Which means that Tom Crean is like a huge a Big East proponent or, you know, really wants to bring UConn there. I'm not too knowledgeable about that. So I don't know what kind of impact this would mean for Nova outside of that three-year series. I think Tom Crean's decent. I I don't know. I, I don't think he's like as amazing. But I'm honestly, I'd honestly be more interested to see like one of the Hurleys. I think they'd be yeah. a little better. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm totally yeah. feeling for those UConn fans. Uh, it seems like every single one on social media, on the internet, on Reddit, wherever you want to look, they just seem so depressed. I would hope that I would never have to experience this sort of dry spell with Villanova. I mean, yeah, there was that one season, right era. Other than that, I was too young to experience anything that happened in the 90s. Not going to comment on that or anything that happened in the early 2000s. Just see, like, this program fall off by the wayside. It, it can't be fun. It can't be too fun. And I'm hoping that... Yes, Villanova can have like an off year. Like that's one thing to have an off year, but to fall by the wayside would just be that. That would be sad. Yeah, that would be miserable. That would absolutely be miserable. I, and yeah, and the one year that they were at Villanova was actually really bad. Just happened to be the year that we were all looking at colleges. So like I, I don't know. I kind of felt like that was a good thing because it kind of kept me open to all the other schools and whatever. Because if like Villanova was doing really well, I probably would have been so gung ho and going to Villanova. I probably would have canceled my self out just in case I didn't get in but yeah that's true we've been foiled with the with the basketball recently and I've been spoiled since the mid-2000s so yeah that, that would be really really sad oh and one thing I just I was just looking up Peter's Twitter profile because he did follow me on Twitter it says he's an assistant professor at Ursinus College where my brother plays baseball so go Bears I will say I would like to see Ollie gone I, I think he was just a guy that wrote the success of Shabazz Napier getting hot, got overrated, got a little too much love. I mean, yeah, it was, you know, it was a nice run. I'm not going to take away from that, but I think Ollie got a little more credit than he should have. I get the love. I get why it happened. Felt like he got a little too much love. I think it was just more of Shabazz Napier having the run of his life to close out his collegiate career before joining the Miami Heat or getting drafted by the Miami Heat. <laughs> yeah, I think we kind of talked about this when we were previewing and just discussing UConn. I guess that was last week or two weeks ago. I don't, I don't remember. But yeah, it, it, it kind of felt that he was just kind of a beneficiary of an incredible run by one of, by a very, I guess, underrated team at the time. Shabazz just got hot, and that, that was it. And we've, we've seen it in college basketball plenty of times where one player gets hot in, in the tournament, and that's it. And UConn's been the beneficiary of it twice in the past 10 years or so. I agree. I think it's time for some new blood up in, up in Hartford. Uh, is that where they are? They're Hartford, right? Hey, Hartford. I think they're technically stores Connecticut, but they do play at the XL Center, which is in Hartford. Right. Yeah, I think it's just time for some new blood up there. Korean would, like we said, it would be fine. Don't know if that's going to completely change the program. Seems that UConn just had it with, the UConn fan base has just had it with Ollie. So just just for the sake of them, get them out of there. And the second question is from Jerry Quinn. He asked, did you watch the Outside the Lines program on Michigan State basketball and football? How long until both coaches are fired? Why has the NCAA not done anything about this since Emmert knew about the situations years ago? Jerry, I did see the Outside the Lines program. I have seen two of the episodes that they've put out. It seems like the episodes have been evolving as this saga just kind of slowly unfolds. There was a lot of heavy stuff, a lot of really 
troubling things from the show. A lot of very shocking details. Some things were just very tough to digest. And it's just a terrible scene over there in Michigan State. I have a few friends who have ties to the university. And I feel like whether you're a Spartan or not, you're not happy with Michigan State right now. Between Nasser and Michigan State knowing about him as early as 2014. And then you have new details coming out that the NCAA was well aware or at least had gotten reports of Michigan State and its problems with sexual assault and misogynist culture in the football and basketball programs as early as 2010. And I feel like Tom Izzo and D'Antonio have not been fired or they're not stepping down because, you know, just of how powerful they are to that university. Those are the two biggest programs that school has to offer. They're both very successful in the Big Ten. Football and basketball are both big time. They're they're very high-powered programs. And my heart goes out to anyone who's been affected or who's a victim of some of the terrible things that have gone down there regarding sexual assault, harassment, and all that stuff. There's a lot of people to be upset at here. I personally, I, I have a hard time digesting or believing whatever a coach says that they don't know anything or they didn't know what was happening under their nose in the program, in the locker room, outside the locker room. Coaches, especially at the collegiate level, they micromanage so much about their student athletes between their workouts, their diets, what they're going to do in practice. Are they going to class? Are they on academic probation or are they doing their work and do, being a good student? Like there's so much micromanagement that a coach puts in their athletes. I find it hard to believe when a coach says, oh, I, you know, I didn't know of anything that was going on. I didn't hear of anything. You see a lot of college coaches say that when they're put on the hot seat because of scandal. I mean, look at Roy Williams with UNC and the paper classes. Didn't know anything. Rick Pitino and assistant coaches are paying for top recruits and giving them a payroll or sneaking money under the table. Didn't know anything. I find that very hard to believe, especially with how much power these individuals have, especially at Michigan State. Tom Izzo, not only with, through the success that he has, but the attention that he's brought to the university, to athletics. Same goes for D'Antonio and his football team. I find it very hard to believe that they didn't know anything. Aside from that, I'm also very disappointed. I, I understand that there's a lot of people going after them because they're the two biggest figureheads in Michigan State athletics. But I'd like to also put the gymnastics coach on the hot seat right now on flames because there were alleged stories of her being a big Nasser supporter, having his back since 1997. At one point, making her athletes on the gymnastics teams signing cards to show support for that man. How could she do that? How could she support such a guy like that? I feel like people should be putting her on blast a lot more. I I'm sure she probably sent a few people away. Going beyond Michigan State, the NCAA is just showing their incompetence once again. Mark Emmert and the NCAA seem, you know, they, they talk about, they preach about being about student-athletes and the welfare of this great league. For them to preach about being about good values and creating a well-rounded individual that shines on the field or on the court and then also in the classroom, but their actions don't necessarily line up with their words. And look at Mark Emmert. He's been on a witch hunt 
condemning programs where student athletes are cashing out. He put harsher punishments on USC for players like Reggie Bush and OJ Mayo who received benefits and uh, gifts and all these things while they were still student athletes at USC. They got tougher penalties than Penn State, which even after the Sandusky scandal came out, their punishments end up being rolled back. Meanwhile, he knew about Michigan State a year before Sandusky came out and has done nothing. For, for like crying out loud, bended players on the Richmond baseball team for playing fantasy football. And so far for seven years, since first, since allegedly knowing about this since 2010, or eight years now, because we're in 2018, hasn't really done anything with Michigan State. Tom Izzo and D'Antonio both said that they're here to stay. I think there's going to be a lot more to come out, but we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> now, you, you just summed it up perfectly. I mean, I don't really want to say much on it. I, I didn't see the outside the lines piece, but obviously I, I know what's going on. I have a general understanding of what's going on. And for that, I... I just can't look at Michigan State the same way. It's just, I don't want to say much, but yeah, it's just it's just absolutely disgusting from Michigan State's part and the NCAA's part. One thing that we I think we can expect and we will see is that there will be a conclusion to this. With Penn State, Paterno died and the secrets died with him. They went, you know, anything that whether or not he knew or not, whether he did the right thing, he knows, but it it went with him to his grave. Tom Izzo, D'Antonio. I think they're going to be alive for a while, so I think we're going to see an actual conclusion with this, whether they, you know, they come out unscathed. I mean, we've already seen, I think it was the AD or the president resign. I forgot who exactly. I know the AD resigned. Tom Izzo made it clear he's not going anywhere. D'Antonio made it clear he's not going anywhere. We'll see what happens. There's definitely more that's going to come out from this case. It's a very ugly scene over there in East Lansing. If there's one thing, it's that you hope that due process is done, justice is served, and regardless of the outcome, all the people who have been victims of the sexual assault and things that have been going down, and you can just only hope that, you know, they get the help they need, justice is served, and due process is done. There's going to be a lot more to come out from this, I think, in the coming weeks or the coming months, but we'll be watching for sure. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, and on Google Play, or on Podomatic. Please follow VU Hoops on social media, at VU Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at The Stansman on Twitter. Nova Nation, have a good Tuesday. Always remember, still number one.